Hi, I'm Kathy Walker, teacher, feminist and parent, and this is Raise Her Up, a podcast from the GDST, the UK's leading family of girls' schools. With 19,000 students across 25 schools and the largest women's alumni network of its kind, we are experts in girls' education and everything that goes with it. Even as a teacher with over 20 years experience of working with young people and as a mum of two girls, I am still learning every day. I think we all are. In each episode, we'll welcome an expert guest who will address a different topic that, as modern parents, we are bound to encounter at some point. In this episode, I'm talking to Phil Armstrong of Education Group Early Excellence about what parents can do to help their children develop their literacy and communication skills. Be intrigued by their play, because what children are doing there is they're creating stories. Those areas of your classroom are story factories, and they need someone who will give them that time to listen is absolutely critical. Phil has a wealth of educational expertise, gained through over 20 years in the classroom, including as a headteacher. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up, and this is Phil Armstrong. Phil, thank you so much for coming on to the Raise Her Up podcast and talking to us about the new Early Years Foundation Stage Framework. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So tell us about the changes to the Department for Education new framework. What lies behind them? And as an early years professional, what are your views on this? Yeah, there were there were a number of kind of rationales for change, I, I suppose. There was a feeling that some aspects of the previous framework weren't quite meeting the needs of all of the children uh, and that needed to be addressed. There was also concerns that perhaps there was um, a lot of time being spent looking at assessment data and gathering evidence rather than actually working with the children and uh, working through really high quality interactions. Uh, and there was also particular concern that we needed to really focus on on communication and language specifically as an aspect of children's development, given the weight of evidence that was coming through in terms of how that is sort of a golden thread of learning and how we'd certainly seen that a number of children have been struggling with language development and how we as a profession needed to address that. But there were many aspects actually of the framework which were felt to be working really well. And the message we've been sharing with lots of early year settings and schools is that it's not kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's kind of just check that the water's okay. And to really kind of refocus and rethink about some aspects of practice. There's some new language within it, some new terminology that um, school settings and parents will be getting used to. Things like self-regulation and subitizing in maths and so on. But at its heart is still that core principle that we need to meet the needs of our children. And the core kind of four principles of the EYFS have not changed in terms of thinking about unique children and where they are on their own journey of learning. Um, thinking about how we build really positive relationships with our children um, and whether that be in the home or in schools and in nursery settings. Uh, and how we create environments that support our children most effectively. And how when we get those things right, we can meet the learning development needs of our children children in the most uh, appropriate way for them. Um, So much of it has not changed, although we always feel like things have changed dramatically, but actually the core principles have stayed the same. You say that there is a greater focus on language skills, on language acquisition. Talk to us about how conversation helps our children to learn. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, conversations like the heart of our everyday experiences. Uh, and what the evidence increasingly showed was it's not necessarily how many words children know, it's how they're able to put those words together. And actually helping us as adults realise just how complicated having a conversation is from those kind of actually looking at the person who's talking to you and listening to what they're saying and being able to interpret what it is. And in doing at the same time, thinking about what you would like to say next um, and drawing down from a vocabulary that you've built up over, you know, your years of experience, whether you be a two year old or a five year old or a 55 year old. And then also that ability to shape the sounds, to make the actual words that you want to share with people and being able to listen to the words that you're saying and the sounds that you're making to think, well, is that what I really wanted to say? Then thinking about what is that person going to say in response? So you're looking at their faces, you're trying to interpret their emotions, their reaction, their level of understanding. Do they look befuddled and bemused? From any adults thinking about young children, it's actually to be in a bit of awe and wonder about how amazing it is that these young children do develop these skills. But also recognising that it takes time and it takes sensitive support uh, and children need time to process what it is that we are saying. And that's quite challenging sometimes when you have a mixture of ages of children in, in the home environment that one child might grasp what you've said very, very quickly because they've got experiences to draw on. They've heard those words before. They can make connections to previous experiences. Whereas with our younger children, it's the first time they may have heard those words. They may still be thinking, what is that sound that somebody's made? So I think the more that we as adults can learn about how young children develop their language skills, um, we can then think about how it is that we communicate. How do we have conversations? Something certainly that's been um, interesting is kind of reflecting on how adults talk to adults and how often we're not actually great listeners because we're already busy thinking about what we'd like to say. Absolutely. It's interesting what you say about, you know, how we are already thinking about what we are going to say next because I'm sure that I can't be the only parent listening to this thinking that children really are, uh, you know, brilliant at non sequiturs and that they will just say whatever is kind of going through their head and not necessarily respond to the conversation which is a skill in itself isn't it yeah absolutely and it relies on that ability to interpret what is being said uh, and it starts really young you smile at a baby baby smiles back at you that's the start of a conversation uh, and so uh, a metacognition, it's kind of in its simplest way, is is being able to is thinking about thinking is the way that people often define it. But actually, when we think about it with children and their learning, it's helping them to be a better learner, so that they can connect bits of learning to another bit of learning. They can kind of broaden their breadth of experiences uh, and be a more effective learner themselves, planning ahead, being more independent and so on. Uh, and the only way they can do that is through really sensitive and effective adult support as well. That family environment really is key, isn't it, in supplementing and complementing what's happening in the classroom. Um, how are young children's communication skills coming out of the pandemic? What's the impact on a, on a little person who is learning to express themselves? Yeah, for some... It's been an amazing experience because they've actually spent more time with family than they ever would have. And they've been engaged in some fantastic conversations. They've tried new things they never would have done before. Uh, and the family home was a, a very positive experience for those children. But we know for others who have just really missed those opportunities to interact 
sort of talking to um, schools both in this country and overseas is that what they're seeing is children coming into early years provision they are struggling with those kind of listening and tension skills the vocabulary isn't necessarily being developed to the same extent um, but also that just that ability to take part in a conversation because if you've been mainly on your own during that time then you've not needed to have a conversation the conversation has been with yourself almost or with a parent who is meeting your every need yeah yeah exactly so you're not having to wait you're not having to take turns but as I said there's been many cases where we know that some children have really thrived when we were thinking about this this podcast you and I had a conversation about how you know um, talking to your children is a really key way of helping them develop their communication skills and writing that out I thought well duh obviously it is um you know aren't we all talking to our children anyway but you, I mean should we be talking to them in a specific way and it was really interesting what you said before about you know how do we as adults have conversations because obviously we are modeling to our young people how we communicate with each other so you know, should we be actually kind of stepping back and thinking about how we are speaking? Yeah, I, I completely, I mean, it's, we don't want to get to the stage where we're so nervous of talking that we actually stop, uh, I guess. But I think it is important for us to continually reflect on the conversations we have with our children, particularly if there are misunderstandings starting to crop up. Um, but it's that everyday conversation, it's talking with children rather than talking to children uh, and yeah and talking at children definitely uh, and thinking about the vocabulary that we're using and narrating our own experiences can be really powerful so as you are as you're cooking and the children are alongside you literally talking about what you are doing so you're narrating your thinking and that's really helpful as well because that helps with the whole concept of metacognition as well that children you're talking about what your thought processes are so not only are the children getting that vocabulary coming through but they're also thinking oh that grown up is having to think about what they're doing it doesn't happen magically you have the positive knock on effect obviously that as a busy adult you're reminding yourself of where you are and what you should be doing yes i guess absolutely absolutely and, and it's just that kind of everyday commentating on life you know what do you notice when you're in the street you know those kind of things and I mean I, I use public transport a lot and I love it when you hear parents having a conversation with their child and just sitting and chatting away rather than everybody's on their phone or you know whatever it may be their, their, their um, uh, tablet uh, and actually talking about what they see and it's all that it's it doesn't have to be complicated. It's literally saying, what can you see out the window? Yes, of course. And it's lovely to share that recognition sometimes with another parent in a public place, having what is either a really, really lovely conversation or an absolutely head caving conversation and to kind of share a kind of a knowing look because you've been there having that never ending conversation with a curious little person. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's and it's the children keep asking why and what and you know all those those wonder I wonder questions that because they do they want to know and, and young children are fascinated by the domestic world in its broadest sense yes <laughs> because it's very meaningful to them um, the things that they see every day on their way to school all those experiences mean an awful lot as well as the more fantastical you know the television programs and the films and so on but the everyday really does go to the core of young children uh, and that's why you often see in early years classrooms things like home corners and so on because it's where children actually understand it's, a, it's something it's, we talk a lot to schools about how 
having that home corner environment really is a very natural place for conversations, just as like having role play cafe areas, because where do adults like to talk? They like to talk where there's usually food and drink. Similarly, thinking about mealtimes with children. Of course. And naturally having a conversation there. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of classroom activity that could be kind of complemented or emulated in the the home setting as well you know you talk about the importance of the domestic world you know what can what can we be doing at home to to boost what's happening in the classroom I, I think certainly value your kitchen the kitchen children are fascinated by what's going on in kitchens because they're seeing it every day and involving the children in those processes and talking about the different ingredients and things you've got so again these kind of rich experiences but not just talking about ingredients talk about processes so i'm mixing things i'm combining you know all those kind of those really fantastic words that we can introduce the children uh, and then to be intrigued by their play so when they are playing it, uh, we talk about small world play, which is like little people, little animals, and farm animals and so on, which are fantastic opportunities for language development because what children are doing there is they're creating stories. Uh, sometimes I'll say to schools that those areas of your classroom are story factories. Uh, and we know that children who, if they can create those stories in their own mind and narrate those stories, then those stories can ultimately lead to writing. And that's where you start to see that link of literacy. If you can talk a story, you're going to be more effective probably at writing a story. And what I've I've seen sometimes work really well is is actually helping the children turn those stories into a book almost. So when your children are playing with those farmers, say, oh, that's great idea you've come up with there. Can I just write that down? What a brilliant story you've come up with there. But you don't want to kind of make it feel like they stop what they're doing. It's like, oh no, I've got to do some writing now. It's like, actually, I'm going to write it because I think it's really good. Um, But I think, yeah, that domestic stuff, outside particularly, outdoors, we know that children are often at their very best. Their well-being is often better, even in the cold weather. It's adults that tend to not like, you know, the weather. And the vocabulary of outdoors is amazing. Just seeing those seasonal changes and commenting again on what you see there. Have you noticed that tree in the garden, how it's changed? You know, what is it that's different about it? So it's it's a real meaningful experience. Um, we know that young children like the real thing. They don't want a picture of a tree. They want to be by the tree. Oh, absolutely. And we are, you know, we are very fortunate within the GDST to have a number of schools who have outdoor classrooms. And all that, you know, as you said, the the connection with the natural world has a directly positive impact on our mental health. Hugely, hugely. Uh, and and it's an all year. That's the thing, not being afraid and the vocabulary of the weather. I mean, as a, a society, we are fascinated by the weather. You know, it's something we talk about constantly, but the <laughs> vocabulary sure. of the weather is amazing. The vocabulary of rain, the vocabulary of snow, you know, all these words that are, are so, you know, so fantastic to children. I think also we we know that young children get really intrigued by complex vocabulary. You only think of dinosaurs and how they'll know all the name of the dinosaurs and things. And there is a quick trick, apparently on the bottom of all of those plastic dinosaurs, it tells you what they are. (laughs) And also acknowledging that your child might be an expert in something that you're not. And really kind of saying, can you talk to me about this? I don't know anything about it. Um, and giving that, giving it equal weight. It might not be something that, that is your cup of tea, but, but, but giving it weight because it's something that they are interested in. And it doesn't matter if we don't know anything about it. Yeah. And when we, we talk about talk with young children and we talk about what do children need to help develop talk. And they, first of all, they need somewhere where they're allowed to talk. And a place where they feel comfortable talking, where they don't feel they're going to be judged 
by what they're saying. Um, and they need someone who will give them that time to listen. Uh, is absolutely critical um, and they need something exciting to talk about but that doesn't need to be like growing on a great adventure every day there are exciting things happening all the time when you're four years old yes and it's wonderful to see the world through a four-year-old's eyes isn't it because the, mu- the mundane suddenly becomes much more exciting absolutely. sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely In each episode of Race Are Up, we hear from a member of our GDST family giving their perspective on the matter at hand. Hello, I'm Kate Jingles, early years phase leader at Newcastle High School for Girls. I think there's often a perception that once the girls come into reception, it's time for the academic learning to kick off. And obviously that's true. But we also prioritise the development of social and emotional skills, physical skills and language, because these are the foundations of everything that comes later. This is in line with our learner promise here at NHSG, which involves, amongst other things, girls being communicative, collaborative and confident. There are lots of ways we plan explicitly to develop communication and language in our reception girls. We have a strong focus on rhymes and poems and we use these every day because they tune children into language and the patterns within it. We choose our picture books and our stories very carefully and we make sure that every text we use has earned its place in our curriculum through the learning potential it offers, either through the vocabulary choices, the links to other learning, or the patterns of language such as rhyme and repetition. Each week we plan show and tell sessions, small group activities and circle times that allow girls to develop their listening their turn-taking and their presenting skills. Something we find really useful is our online learning journal because this enables us to make links with home so that we can initiate conversations with the girls um, about what they've been doing at home in a very meaningful way and parents can do the same with things they've been doing at school. What's absolutely crucial here is our staff. We know that young children learn to speak and communicate through back and forth conversations about things that interest them with interested adults. These interactions take place in the morning when we greet the girls, in the classroom when we're playing and exploring alongside one another, or in the dining hall when we're eating lunch together. They get down to the girls' level, they make good eye contact, and they model high-level vocabulary so that the girls are learning new words in context in a very natural way. Through their body language, adults show a genuine interest in what the girls are telling them, and they use intonation and expression in their own responses to engage the girls to listen. Where we can, we try to let the girls lead conversations. The adult isn't always the expert here, so rather than bombarding the girls with questions, we do a lot of wondering. So saying to the girls, I wonder what would happen if, and we'll wait for the girls to elaborate and offer their own explanations. This not only allows the girls to take the lead in their own learning, but it also develops the thinking and hypothesizing skills that are going to be really important to them later on. So Phil, can I ask you, there's obviously an emphasis on speaking and conversation in the new framework. What's the role of reading in helping to develop conversation and communication skills? Yeah, it's very strongly highlighted right the way through the new framework and kind of the use of different texts to support so many different aspects of learning, whether it be traditional kind of literacy and storytelling and so on, but also that broadening of understanding of the world. So sort of geographical concepts, scientific concepts and so on. Uh, And books offer such a great opportunity to introduce children to new vocabulary. Um, And what the challenge, I think, is finding texts that are really appropriate for the age of the children that you're working with, but also not shying away sometimes from ones which might be more complex. Um, and there are some there are some amazing books available to children. I mean, I, I'm the worst person to go into a branch of any bookshop because before I know it, the wallet is out. Uh, and there is because they are fantastic. And what we there is something unique about a book. 
I think, that we we don't treasure enough. Uh, and one of the things actually in the new framework, it talks about how we should support children uh, develop a love of reading. Uh, and that, that gift of a book is so powerful. Uh, and particularly some nonfiction texts we know can be amazing with incredibly intricate illustrations and things in which children really get drawn into. But the, the key thing is, is particularly that vocabulary development. And what you, you tend to see with children who've been exposed to lots of stories um, uh, and different other kinds of texts is that again starts to come through into their writing because they've got that vocabulary to draw on. So even though they may be very early writers, actually, as they move forward, um, they've already built up that kind of their own dictionary. And it's like, OK, and you see it when I think about teaching some six and seven year olds, you could spot the children who read. And the ones who read outside school because the vocabulary was there. Um, and it's like, oh, I know where that phrase has come from. It, you know, it's a particular book or something. You're like, yeah, they clearly are drawing on that. But that's it's interesting. I mean, does it matter what they read? You know, if they're reading a magazine or a comic strip, you know, is that as useful to communication and, and to these kind of vocabulary building as, say, Harry Potter or... Yeah, more and more, I would say. And what is important is they see adults reading. Oh, interesting. Talk us through that. Yeah, there's some evidence um, and it, there was lots of work done a few years ago about things like dads in school days and so on. Um, but there is some evidence to show that particularly if boys see their dads reading yeah. and their dads talking about the importance of reading and, and how reading is part of their everyday life as well as a pleasurable thing to do, it's sending a really powerful message. It's a bit like the more they see us writing. Most adults hardly write at all anymore with a pencil or a pen. Such a good point. My handwriting is appalling these days. Because we just don't do it. We don't, you know, we type away on a keyboard uh, and we don't know, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years time, will children still be writing in the same way they would have done before? But at the moment they are uh, and they need to see us doing it just as they need to hear us talking and having conversations. And they, and they are constantly listening to us. They are drawing their experiences from the adults around them uh, and helping that's helping them frame the world, I suppose, really. so. Oh, Phil, pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's the pressure. <laughs> mm. Can I bring you back to something you've just said about different experiences of reading? There was um, a campaign in the media that really caught my attention uh, in March 2021, I think. And it was from a campaign called Turn On The Subtitles. And it was about the fact that turning on the subtitles while children are watching television can double the chances of a child becoming good at reading so obviously we're not for a moment saying watch telly it is as good as reading for your literacy but what are your views on that I, I, I haven't seen that report so I'd be really interested to have a look at it I, I think working with younger children what I'd always be keen to do is have a conversation with the children about what they've been watching so not only that kind of then that opens the door to conversation but it opens the door to understanding what they're thinking because are there do you want them to be focusing on the learning that's coming from that program for example or do you want them to be focusing on reading what's happening there? Uh, and for young children, they, the risk is the energy could all go one way. It's a bit like with writing, for example. Uh, young children, when they're first learning how to write, will not show you everything they know in that writing. So say the piece of writing was about science, for example. If they're still at that stage of learning to write, they're going to be concentrating on the writing. So probably what they're going to show you in terms of their understanding about science might be quite limited. So I, I think I'd be encouraging conversation, I think, more about programmes. 
Interesting what you say there about, you know, writing about a certain subject matter whilst concentrating on the act of writing. Is that why we overlook kind of spelling, punctuation, etc., when it comes to learning about certain topics? Yeah, I, and I think so. But what, what was, sometimes we see is children who may be really skillful in, say, literacy, you don't see them transfer those skills. And what's fascinating about working with young children is they don't separate learning out in quite the same way that we do as we get older. Um, and it's something that anybody working with younger children has to keep in mind all the time is to look at learning much more holistically. So, for example, we know the link between physical development and early writing. We know their kind of understanding of the world is very closely linked to language and communication development. So and mathematics actually is so language rich incredibly language rich that we can't separate those things out they are so intertwined and that's a challenge can i go back to something you said um towards the beginning of our chat where you the kind of the small world play so playing with little animals you know kneeling down in the corner of the classroom and making up little stories and you said you know you wouldn't want to stop what they're doing to make them write it down which i really think you've encapsulated something there about you know having to interrupt play in order to document what is happening and and you you also referred to earlier when you talked about you know there was too much focus on assessment is that the ultimate kind of problem here that 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 it's not all just about the fun of communicating at some point you have to document this and you have to assess it I mean, the message certainly from the department of education uh, and Ofsted and similar organizations is really what we need to focus on is our interactions uh, and that's a very skillful process. Um, there's um, a lady called Julie Fisher wrote a book called Interacting or Interfering. Uh, and it's about that big challenge of how do you get involved in children's play? Uh, and, you know, do we wade in with our size nines and suddenly disrupt it and we try and turn it into something that's a bit more on our agenda? Uh, and how we need to be skillful at listening and observing to what children are doing uh, and think, well, if I get involved, am I going to make it better? I suppose, really. Um, but in terms of um, sort of helping children with next steps, using photographs. So when children have built an amazing model or something, take a photograph of it and then later on say, oh, can we have a chat about the model that you made the other day or the painting that you did? I'd really love to talk to you about that. And really valuing their voice, what their opinion is. We see it in quite a lot of early years uh, classrooms where you literally speak, see speech bubbles everywhere. And those are the words of the children of what they wanted to say about their thing they've built or the game that they've been playing so that their words matter just as when they first learn how to write their name on a birthday card to somebody uh, it's the fact that their voice matters uh, as well um, and not to be afraid of, of getting in and playing alongside and recognizing sometimes it might go wrong but children are very good at telling you it's gone wrong they'll just go away <laughs> or, or they, you know, and they might if it's the first time you've done it ask to be it's hang on is it all right can i can i play as well uh, and then listening to what the game is accepting that they've created that game so you've been invited in to be part of it um but we know that generally young children really like being around adults so I could imagine if, you know, a child would suddenly notice that their their mum and dad or whoever it may be is suddenly playing with the Lego those children will be over there pretty quickly because they'll want to know, well, what is going on? Why are you playing with those things? And if you start explaining what you're doing and talking about, you know, your imagination as well, um, I think you're just opening the door to, to really rich conversations and a really valuable time, I think, with your children. 
Well, that to me would strike me as a good note on which to leave it, Phil. That what a, what a fantastic conversation! I enjoyed that so oh, much. It was an absolute pleasure, and uh, again, thank you very much for inviting me along. I really enjoyed kind of reliving what it was like having little tiny ones. Because mine are twelve and nine now, and um, they don't really want to play with me anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, it is, and that is something that happens around seven. Children, when they get to about seven, they start valuing other children more. So they seek more peer approval. It's like, what do my friends think of me? All those kind of things. Whereas up to about that age, they're still really quite keen to please adults because it's adults who are guiding them. It's adults who are making choices for them. But there's something in the brain, we know, there's lots of changes that happen around six and a half, seven years of age. But one in particular is this idea of peer approval. And it suddenly starts to really matter what my friends think. It's not cool to play with my mum and dad, all that kind of stuff. Oh, but that is really sad in some ways to lose the freedom of not caring what other people think. It is really sad, uh, but it kind of comes back a little bit. It kind of fluctuates. Um, Robin Ince, I know, does like Invent Monkey Cage and things. Yeah, he did a conference for us a few years ago. And um, it, there's a poem he wrote to his son about, I think it's about den building. And it's about this will be the last time we'll build a den together. Because he's recognising that his son will change to be not it's not cool to do those things with dad you know anymore which is heartbreaking can we we need we need a different version of that which is this is the last time you will give me a load of grief for asking you to pick your dirty clothes up off the floor <laughs> when they come out of teenage years maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe or ask for money yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. oh brilliant <laughs> thank you so much phil that was a really a great chat thank yeah, you yeah catch up soon Thank you for listening to this episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST. To hear all the experts we have on this series and to make sure you don't miss one, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave a review and a five-star rating, it'll help other parents and carers to find the podcast so they can listen and learn too. I'm Cathy Walker. Join me on the next episode of Raise Her Up from the GDST when I'll be with mental health campaigner, broadcaster and author Natasha Devon. Something that I learned quite quickly is that you can't really divorce mental health from social justice. They're completely (laughs) intertwined. Young people are coming into school with some quite troubling views on some things because when young people together they kind of bring each other up on issues race, gender, sexuality, class and so there's a lot to unpack. I'll see you then.